to change the meaning of what's happened to us. And that is quite literally directing or redirecting the neuroplasticity of our brain. This is the neuroadaptability process. So freaking cool. I don't think I've ever said point blank period before in my life, but that felt like an important time to say it. Our beliefs are the singular thing holding us back from what we want in life. Point blank period. I'm just going to reiterate this. You are aging yourself when you are in stress, when you are thinking in negative thought patterns. There's a key perspective that I've come into over the years that's helped me reframe trauma in a really helpful way. Resiliency is the ability to navigate life's setbacks with courage and a commitment to one's vision and value. The more resilience factors a person possesses and the higher amounts of them, the higher the likelihood that they'll achieve success, abundance, and overall holistic well-being in life. There's this Steve Jobs quote that he used as inspiration that said, stay hungry, stay foolish. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be a fool and to be foolish. Trauma is actually helpful. Trauma is what allowed you to grow your resilience. If you're constantly in stress and stressful thought patterns, you're creating toxicity in the brain. No one teaches this. Why aren't we taught this? This is mind-bogglingly important. How you think and how you think about things literally changes your brain health and your physical health overall. I just want to let that sink in for a second. Welcome to our greatest performance. My name is Mackenzie Rose Gorman, and I'm a coach, entrepreneur, creative, and advocate for holistic well-being. This podcast is your gateway to aligning with your purpose, tapping into ancient wisdom, and embodying your fullest potential. I'm extending the official invitation to step boldly into living your life as your greatest performance. Thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into today's greatness. Hi. Hello to our greatest performance. I'm excited to be back. Last week was the release of the first four full-length episodes, and it was really exciting for me. And just to hear back already from people about how it's helpful and how just supportive people are is a really good feeling. A really interesting thing also happened where the night before the podcast uh, came out, or the day before, I got sick, and my tonsils got so inflamed and I essentially got tonsillitis. And I really think that it was a reaction because our bodies and minds are intricately, intimately connected. There was a story that I wrote into my life at some point that it's not safe to share my true voice, my fullest self. And I feel as though this podcast is the way in which I am bringing my fullest self to the table. And I had this really interesting physical response to the release of the podcast. And I wasn't expecting that. And it just really shows the power of our minds and bodies. And so this podcast is, yes, it's for me to share with others, but we're all on a journey together of making our lives these beautiful masterpieces and these grand adventures and this, you know, our greatest performance and Along the way, we have shedding that we do 
and the rewriting of our stories. And it's special because there are so many parts of our lives that we can't control. But when we have the opportunity to go in and look at what our past looks like and feels like, and then to do that work, to do the inner work and the healing work and rewrite what's been going on to write better code into our systems to allow us to be happier and more successful and more abundant, all these things, you know, what a gift. So I am still recovering from that illness, but I'm really grateful for it. Every time I get sick, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. Every time I get sick, I forget you forget how good it feels to feel good because you're just used to it as a baseline. Then you get sick and you remember, whoa, I took it for granted that it doesn't hurt when I swallow. And then every time I swallow, it's so painful, you know, that kind of thing. And I took it for granted that my head isn't, you know, pounding with a migraine constantly and all of these things. You know, our body is literally working constantly to keep us healthy to the best of its ability. And whenever things happen in the body system, it's really just giving us an opportunity to pinpoint what's not working. Like what, you know, you get a fever. It's the body literally saying something's going on inside of you that I'm, I'm going to heat you up and we're going to try to burn it and kill it. Or when you have pain in a certain place or whatever, it's, it's a sign and a signal. And it's beautiful. I think that we take our bodies for granted so much. So I'm just appreciative of my health this week, even though my health isn't 100%, because it just reminds me of the beauty of this system that we call our body, our physical vessel, our temple. I've been thinking a lot about adversity this week and what it looks like to look back upon the things that we've gone through, the challenges, the pain, the difficulty, the darkness, the shadow, the heartbreak, all of the things and how they really contribute to who we become and to our lives. And there's a key perspective that I've come into over the years that's helped me reframe trauma in a really helpful way. And that is that our trauma isn't something bad. I think it's easy to look at our trauma as something bad, but our trauma is actually initiation. And everything that we go through that could be labeled as bad is an initiation that gives us the opportunity to step into and become a higher version of ourselves, a stronger version, someone with a better perspective, someone with more tools, with more skills, with more empathy, with more compassion. There's science and psychology showing now that you don't actually have to go back into the trauma. You don't have to relive the thing in order to heal it. And you don't actually have to know why you quote unquote are the way you are or what the origin origin is of something that is hindering you or holding you back in some way or some kind of pattern you have, you can you can heal it without going into it. Sometimes, yes, it absolutely is helpful. This is not an overall blanket statement. Sometimes it's helpful to know what the trigger is, what the what the root cause of a belief or something is. Absolutely. But there are also situations where you don't have to go back into what happened 
in order to heal it and move forward. In this episode about resilience, there's a piece that's involved in this conversation where we get to look at how resilience is created and formed from a variety of different viewpoints and aspects and psychology and neuroscience and biophysics. It's a really, really interesting topic that I'm devoting my career to, essentially, at least at this point. But something that humans have this superpower is creating meaning. So inherently, life doesn't have any meaning. And that is one of the most beautiful parts of the design of the game of life. Because if nothing has any meaning, that means we have the power to assign any meaning we want to anything. So if you choose to see your trauma as simply bad and traumatic and painful and something that messed you up and you could never get over it, that's exactly what it is because that's the meaning you assign to it. However, if you choose to make your trauma mean something and mean something positive, and this also could involve not even knowing what the meaning is, but just choosing to take the viewpoint that this is something positive. I don't know why, but I'm choosing that meaning for it, which is exactly what I did when I came across the Rumi quote, live life as if everything is rigged in your favor, which is another way of saying, essentially, I'm going to assign positive meaning to everything that happens to me in my life, whether or not I know why it happened, because I don't really think we know why things happen. So if we don't know why things happen, then we get to choose what things mean. And I choose to make everything mean something positive in the same way someone can choose to make something negative. And the person who leans more towards negativity might say, well, you are just lying to yourself. You don't know that it's rigged in your favor. or You don't know that that trauma was good for you, this, that, and whatever. And I can say the same thing and say, well, maybe you're lying to yourself that this is bad and that your life is over or you're doomed to repeat XYZ pattern or be a certain type of way because this happened to you. We get to choose the story. We get to choose the meaning. And that is so beautiful because that also means we can rewrite it. And if you can rewrite your story, you're taking back control from whatever happened to you because you can't change it. What happened, happened. And that's the only way it could have, as Peter Crone says, because that's what happened. But you do get to change how you think about it and what meaning it has to you. So I want to go into kind of like this really beautiful rundown of what is happening in our brain and body and mind and how they all work together, where we can either create internal peace and freedom and joy and love or the opposite through our thoughts and behaviors and actions. And it's one of my favorite topics ever. So I'm really excited to get into this. There's one more piece I want to add before we get into this. There's this Steve Jobs quote that said that he used as inspiration that said, stay hungry, stay foolish. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be a fool and to be foolish. I pulled the sacred fool card the other day and it actually felt so inspirational to me. Grab it actually. And I want to share this with you because what looks foolish to someone else, it doesn't have to be negative. We all get to choose 
what we want to think about anything. It's actually really quite remarkable. There's no true right or wrong that exists at all. No true right or wrong, which is kind of mind-boggling and kind of weird and kind of beautiful and kind of amazing. There's no true right or wrong. If something is foolish to someone else, who cares? If something seems delusional, if something seems stupid, if something seems anything, who cares? At the end of the day, we're just making it up as we go along. If someone who is a little bit foolish or delusional chooses a thought that makes them feel good, is that not contributing to their life in a positive way? Is that not leading to the betterment of themselves and their lives? Is it actually affecting anyone? What's really happening is the people with the judgments about what's foolish are the ones who are negatively impacted. The person who's doing the quote-unquote foolish or delusional thing, they're not being impacted. They're just living their lives with whatever thought process or beliefs they want to have and it's serving them. So it's just a reminder to take on whatever beliefs serve you. Who cares what they look like from the outside? And if you find yourself judging others, realize that that's only a reflection of you and maybe the ways that you're holding your back, yourself back. Because if something isn't quote unquote realistic, it's like, how much in life is actually realistic? If you really, really zoom out, if you start explaining what's going on here to aliens or to someone who had never been to earth or to a baby, you know, everything is pretty bizarre here. So we need to let go of this right or wrong or logical or illogical or foolish or not or delusional or not take the mindset and the beliefs that work for you that make you feel good and that's all that matters because at the end of the day your emotions are what creates if you're in negative emotion all the time you're going to create negativity and you're not going to manifest and create what you desire and you're not going to feel good. And at the end of the day, the name of the game is feeling good. If you're feeling good a lot, you're going to have a higher quality of life. You're going to be happy. You're going to be creating more, producing more, having better relationships. So this is your permission slip to claim whatever beliefs work for you, even if they're delusional, even if they're foolish. And I want to share this um, sacred fool card with you right now. I had never pulled this one before and I loved it. The fool is a great rebel able to thwart convention and tell the truth without restraint. Your heart is a wonderful, powerful, sacred fool. It cares not for the right way to do things. It cares not for what the mind says is real and not real. It lives according to inner wisdom that cannot be dictated to or controlled by anything. It loves, it lives, and it is what it is. This oracle heralds a time now or imminent when you will feel inspired alive and passionate for what you can offer to the world it says to you don't try to be appropriate don't try to be socially acceptable and worry about what others may think about what you are doing just be if you want to wear a mad hat while doing so fine the sacred fool in you is willing to leave behind what has been because it no longer feels right to stay attached to it the sacred fool in you trust life completely. It would never occur to this part of you to try and outsmart life or to resist its flow. It recognizes that the mind is a monkey puppet on strings. More often than not, it is cajoled into fear when it could be playfully dwelling in the radical spontaneity of life. So 
the sacred fool in you urges your mind to let itself be pulled into the joy by your heartstrings, not into fear and doubt by the controlling machines of mass media. This oracle brings you a message. It's time for you to play. It's time for you to let life happen in a completely unreserved, unscripted way. The more bizarre, left of field, unexpected, and apparently ridiculous, the better. This may not feel safe or appropriate at first. That is okay. That is good, actually. It is a sign that you're breaking with your own self-imposed conventions. It is time to move beyond them now because a bigger life adventure is calling to you. This is wonderful news. It is the desire of life to operate more radically through you so that you become the conduit through which miracles and crazy wild synchronicity can occur. You are becoming electric. You are more plugged into the apparent randomness of life. Apparent because there is a refined intelligence behind it all. The sacred fool goes with this without having to understand any of it, which is good. Trying to access even one genuine glimpse of life's unfathomable genius would probably make one's head explode. As you take this journey, you may find that people around you are challenged. You may unintentionally cause them to rethink the way they, th they live their lives. They may question whether the way they're living is the only way for them or even the best way. At first, they may react rather than take responsibility. The sacred fool in you doesn't engage with this. It is what it is, and it rises and falls as it will. It doesn't stop you from your merry dance of unconventional being. If you find yourself making choices that have others questioning your sanity, then you are right on course. You may feel that you are quite possibly going insane, but you are not crazy. You are just approaching enlightened awareness. There is a moment, perhaps a rather long one, when we wake up to life, shed our attachment to mass opinion, and float in a completely different state of being. We may find that no one is really able to understand or connect with us to the point that we question our state of mind. Stay with that. It will pass. You will eventually see that you're becoming sane in an insane world. The tables will turn and you will gain great inner freedom and creative juice. Stay on your path. Stay on the journey. Remember to take nothing too seriously and it will all work out perfectly. And then there's a little healing process. If you're following along, I feel like I pulled this card for me, but I also really feel called to share. So... If you want to go fully in, you can say these words aloud. I call on the sacred fool of unconditional love. Please help me access your lightness of spirit, your wisdom, and your ability to exist in the heart of truth, to be powerful without becoming attached to or obsessed by power. I honor your vision. May I see and know so truly and be free. I choose of my own free will to give myself absolute permission to just be myself now and always. Through unconditional love, mercy, and compassion, so be it. Yeah. So I really have just, I've been deep in thought about this this week of what people think makes sense. And I tend to lean pretty existential. If you listened to my earlier episodes, I was thinking about life and about death and what happens beyond this life really, really young. And sometimes I get into these periods of life when it's really pervasive in my thinking. And I've been in that space the last couple of weeks of almost just feeling like, what are we doing here? Um, but not in a, an, an existential despair type of way, which I sometimes get into or I used to, but more just kind of the absurdity of this, of this existence and how there's such paradox of it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it absolutely does because we're here and we're living it and we're doing it. But then I, I switch and I'm like, 
you know, I could die tomorrow. I could die tomorrow. And, you know, all this is gone. The books around me, the, my cameras, my thing that, you know, this computer that I'm sitting in front of recording and my friends and my relationships and the food I eat, all these things are just these arbitrary nothings that as soon as I die, they didn't matter. But at the same time, those are exactly the things that matter. My relationships and the food that I eat and how I feel and my art, my camera and the books I read and what I get to consume and what I want to write and get to write and think about and put new ideas into the world. And this life is just so, it's such a paradox and it can drive you wild, I think, in trying to really understand it. And there's no understanding it. And that's part of the beauty. And the other part of the beauty is when you do tap into that feeling and that idea, it also gives you this deep freedom to be the sacred fool, to be foolish, to know that at the end of the day, are you going to be proud of how you lived if you lived small because you were worried about other people's opinions or if you would fail or this, that, whatever? Like really right now, really sit with the fact like you're going to die and hopefully it's in decades. It's not necessarily in decades and we don't know when it is. And the opportunity to be here is so profound. And there's really not a single reason in the entire world that can or should stop you from the fullest expression of yourself in your life. Like you're really going to let anything hold you back. If you really think about what this world is and what you really are, people are getting to the end of their life. And one of the biggest regrets of the dying is that people are saying, I didn't live for me. And if you're listening to this right now, you cannot let that happen. We cannot let that happen not on my watch. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I just want to remind you of your mortality because it's something that we don't talk a lot about in society, but it's one of the most important tools that I use to remind me to live fully and that the big things matter and the big things don't matter and the little things don't matter and the little things also matter the most. And I think a truly spiritual person, true spiritual intelligence is living in this dance, is living in the paradox of this life and being able to hold the paradox because the probability that you were born is essentially zero. And I'm here and you're here and that person and that person, that person and 8 billion other people and we're here. And every moment of our lives is the same statistical anomaly. The fact that any of us know each other or you're listening to this right now or what happened to you an hour ago when you ate that sandwich? Do you know how many things had to align for you to be sitting down and eating that sandwich an hour ago? <laughs> like it is, it is infinitely insane. It's insane. And maybe that's just how my mind works. I think about these kinds of things and that's how I frame my whole life. But if you can really remember that your time here is limited and that there are things in this life that make you feel good. And if the name of the game is feeling good, then your real only duty is to follow those things. And the dreams that were placed in your heart are your duty to follow because you're not an island. You're connected to every single one of us. We're all interconnected. And when people play into their gifts and when people follow what feels good for them, that is their inner guidance or their soul or however you want to think of it 
showing them this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is good for you. This is good for everyone because when we all follow our highest excitement and our gifts and our passions and our skills and especially create our lives around that, it's not just in service to yourself. It's in service to everyone because that's how the world operates at its best. Yeah, see the butterflies right here. You see them on my cover art. It's a butterfly effect. Everything affects everything else. And you're having a positive effect on the world when you follow the feelings that make you feel good and when you follow the things that give you the good feelings that make you feel good. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but are you ready to learn a little bit about the mind and the brain and the body and how they all are interconnected and how you can become more resilient? Because if you have the capacity to work through hard things and be better for it, and you understand what it looks like and why it's important to look at your story and rewrite it. And if you understand the magnitude of the effects of your thoughts on your physical health, which people just don't know about these things, your whole life's actually going to change. So um, <clears throat> buckle up. I'm about to change your life right now. And yeah, let's get into it. Get ready for your mind to be blown. First of all, let's get into what the mind actually is. So a lot of people, I think, associate the mind and the brain and think that they're the same thing, but they aren't. The brain is a receiver. So the brain receives essentially inputs or impulses from the mind and then translates them. So I think over time with science becoming more and more and more prolific on one hand and also lauded on the other or almost starting to be seen as I want to say in the definition or in the realm of like religion like science is word science is god we've kind of lost sight of what science actually is science is an investigative tool to inquire or ask questions about and to research and learn about what's going on in this world the scientific method, which all science is based on, is a method through which you test hypothesis. So you have an idea of what you think is happening and you take it through the scientific method to see if your hypothesis holds or not. When you run a statistical analysis, something has to be either above or below a certain probability or percentage. And if it falls within a certain range, then it's seen as statistically valid. And then that will either prove or disprove the hypothesis. From there, we have a theory. From that theory, then science goes in and continues to use a scientific method to try to disprove the theory. If the theory cannot be disproven, then it holds true, quote unquote true. So science isn't the word of God. It's a very, very helpful investigative tool and system in order to organize information and test ideas and see if the ideas have validity. If you look at the progression of science over time, science, quote unquote, I mean, not even quote unquote, real science used to tell us things that have since been disproven. And that's because they held true through the process I just described until someone was able to do science, use a scientific method, conduct experiments and research that disproved that thing. So I think that a lot of people think science is proving something. Science is actually continuously trying to disprove something when it cannot be disproven. It's quote unquote proven. 
The reason I love the intersection of science and spirituality is because they're both trying to do the same thing, which is understand and describe and explain what's going on in this life. And they're both based in the same foundation of uncertainty. Science will tell you that life is inherently uncertain, and that's why we're using the scientific method to try to parse and parcel together what's going on. And spirituality will also tell you that life is inherently uncertain. And both are just trying to kind of explain what's going on. The scientific method is something that people really like because it feels more tangible and it's almost helpful to help us, you know, get our claws into something and have that to to wrestle with as opposed to something that's more energetic and invisible if you will through spirituality however there are intersections where science and spirituality come together that to me are very exciting and that's something that matters a lot to me because i think bridging these two and showing that they're not so different at all and in many ways they're quite quite similar especially if you look at science and physics on the quantum level. I think it's a great opportunity for these very different kinds of people, someone who's extremely sciencey, let's say like a researcher, a science nerd person, and someone who's super spiritual and maybe more on like the woo out there side. A lot of the fundamentals of what they believe might look different, but if you go deep into it, they're quite similar. So with, back to what I was saying, with the increase in the popularity of and the strong support of and hold on to science, we've forgotten about other parts of the person. So it's not just about the body and the neurology, the brain systems going on. What we actually have is the mind and the body and the spirit, and they are different. And the brain isn't the mind. The brain is part of the body, the physical, material system. The mind is actually who we are. The brain and the body are essentially ductors that allow us to experience ourselves and experience life. Let that sink in for a second. You're not your body and you're also not your brain. Your brain is a really, 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 really wonderful thing that you own, but you are your mind. You are your consciousness. However, being in coming into this body, there is an inseparable relationship between the brain and body in the mind. And this is because the mind is actually an electromagnetic field. So this is something that's proven by science. The brain is a receiver of the mind. So the electromagnetic field of the mind passes through the brain and the brain can receive those inputs and then translates them. Very, very, very cool. So when I think about resilience, the first thing that really comes to mind for me is thinking about mental health. And that's because the reason I'm so interested in resilience is because, especially over this last year, thinking about, you know, what do I bring to the table that's different in regards to my work and what I'm interested in? Because the first thing is that I'm not trying to be a career coach. I really think that I am much more of a researcher, journalist type person. And I really like the intersection of coaching and consulting. I really like to teach. I like to learn. I like to research. And then I like to put things together, synthesize, formulate, find, pa- find patterns, analyze data, 
come up with new ideas or different ways to say things or put seemingly dissimilar pieces together and then share them and then use them for betterment, for bettering our lives, for bettering ourselves, for, you know, living life as our greatest performance. So over this last year, I've really been asking myself the question over and over, what do I want my career to look like? What do I really want to do that would light me up continuously? Because I do like coaching, but it's, it's, it can't be a hundred percent of what I do because that doesn't, give me the full package of what makes me have a spark inside that makes me feel like, okay, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And this is something I could do for forever. And as a tangent, you know, the thing that you can do without any prompting, the thing that you always have make time for, you always come back to, that's something that you need to integrate into your life. That's part of your purpose. For me, it's researching. Like I love to research things and I love to synthesize. I love to bring together different pieces and put together ideas and to break down ideas and and go in deep. And so what I've realized is that my work centers around resilience. And I was like, do I call myself a life coach? Do I call myself a mindset coach? Am I a scientist? You know, I was going to be a mental skills behavioral consultant when I was in grad school for the performance psychology piece before my school closed and I stopped school. Um, So this year I've really realized, okay, it's resilience for me. If I could become the Brene Brown of resilience over the next 50 years, my life would be made because it's something that I deeply care about. And it's not just something that I have this interest in. I literally have seen the true progression of resilience through my own story because I completely bottomed out in life. And there were times when there were so many times when, you know, being suicidal, not wanting to be alive and thinking about taking yourself off the planet is not a, it's not a hallmark of, of top resilience. And I didn't feel resilient. I didn't think I could get through it. And so it makes me then come into this investigation now of what are the factors that we inherently have within us? And then what are the factors that we can grow that allow us to be more resilient? Like what did I already have within me that allowed me to be resilient? And also what did I get to work on and what muscles, what resilience muscles did I get to flex that allowed me to persevere through things, to work through challenges, to learn and grow through challenges, to become better because of challenges? Because sometimes people go through stuff, but it becomes their whole life story. They never get over it. They never bounce back. They're not better because of what they went through, which again, relates back to the beginning, at least partially relates back to the beginning of this episode, talking about allowing your stories to define you or what meaning you bring to things is really how it completely plays out in the rest of your life and creates a, p- a path for you to go down. So I look at my anxiety and my depression and all of these things, and I used to be told that I was, you know, we are told we have issues. They're literally called disorders. Like you're disordered or you have a disease or anything along those lines. They tell you that that is something that's wrong with you. But I think what's actually the case is that depression isn't the issue. The, de- the depression isn't the diagnosis. The depression is a symptom that something else is going on where there's a mismatch between your mind and your body and your spirit. And it's actually a symptom 
again, going back to the body being this amazing, fantastic system telling us when something is off. It's like when you're driving your car and a light pops up on the dash or a couple lights pop up or something's blinking. It's telling you something's going wrong within the operating system of this car, within the engine, and things aren't running effectively or efficiently or something's about to break or something's broken. So I don't think that depression should be treated like this disease or disorder or mental health things in general. I think there are these signs and symptoms that are saying, hey, hey, we have a flashing light. Something's not right inside the mind, body, spirit, inside your vessel, which is both energetic and physical or immaterial and material or physical, metaphysical, however you want to think of it. There's something off here. And so there's actually beauty in our mental health issues, quote unquote, or our mental health symptoms, if you see them like that, because anxiety and depression, all these things are actually telling us, hey, sweetheart, there's something that's mismatched in your life right now and in yourself. And by this presenting, I'm giving you the opportunity to go in and do the investigative work and do the rewriting or whatever needs to happen in order to sort things out so you can feel good. And so already right there, there's a reframe. There's a really important reframe that your anxiety doesn't have to be something bad. It doesn't have to be something that's wrong with you. Your anxiety can be something that's loving because your body loves you so much in your mind and your brain. It's saying, hey, this is what's going on. And now that you're aware of it through feeling the anxiety, you have a chance to go in and make corrections and fix it and figure out what is it that's happening right now? Why am I feeling like this? Where have I disconnected from my emotions or from my, from my soul, from my spirit, from, from my truest part of myself? So when the mind and the body and the spirit are out of sync, it's an opportunity for us to step back and ask, why is this happening? Why am I out of sync? What's going on that's creating and contributing to this? So we're feeling pain. The pain doesn't have to be negative, but what we need to do at that point is to recognize that we're feeling pain and then ask the question, why am I feeling like this? Because we're living in a very pained world, especially after, I would say, after the pandemic. We're in this huge, we left the COVID pandemic, but we're in a mental health pandemic or epidemic. And there are so many people who are in so much pain right now and don't know how to face it and don't know how to sit with it and don't know how to live with it. And that's leading to people taking themselves off the planet through suicide and or doing self-harm or just living very hard, sad pained lives. And it's because we're not teaching these tools of instead of anxiety and depression being a diagnosis and a disorder and a disease, what if we let them be something that's tapping us on the shoulder and giving us the opportunity to go in and and look at what's going on and to make changes. But we don't teach these things. We don't teach these tools. So people don't have that perspective and they don't have the tools that go along with it. So that's what this is all about here. When we learn how to process our emotions, we take control of our life and our life story. We take control not just of the present, but we can take control of the past and we take control of our future. It's one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is to do this work. And this to me, this is one of the most special, important things I can devote my life to because through my own story, I've seen how it absolutely transformed me 
and how I garnered and cultivated these skills and abilities and tools and how it completely changed my life. And it allowed me to not just get out of barely surviving into striving and being better, but into true thriving and then being able to be unshakable mm. and to work through anything and to not really feel stressed or feel like I, I really feel like I can get through literally anything. And I say that with full certainty in myself. And it's backed by my certainty and faith and trust in something bigger than myself. But it's been cultivated through this work and resilience and, and, and honing in on the factors that I innately had within me and strengthening them and then strengthening ones that maybe didn't come as easily to me. And so we all have the capability to look at our resilience factors and see what do I neatly have within me that helps me? And then what can I also practice and turn the dial up on to increase my overall resilience and to have more tools in the tool belt, so to speak. And so when we have that in, con in conjunction with learning how to actually process our emotions, which should be taught very young, the sooner we can teach this, the better. This is something that we should be teaching babies at one, two, three years old and forward. And I've had the fortune of nannying for children. I've babysat my whole life, but to really see how formative those early years are, even without having my own kids yet, and really feeling like at some point I could see my work going into families and children as well, and adolescents and teenagers. I mean, it's kind of applicable the whole way along the human lifespan. But if we can get in and teach kids this early, we're really contributing to the betterment of our societies and our world at large, as long, uh, in addition to each individual life and the quality of their life. So back to the difference between the mind and the brain. So once again, the brain is an organ that receives input. And the mind, on the other hand, is it's us. It's our consciousness. It's how we behave. It's how we think. It's how we feel. It's what we choose. It's our preference. And so each of us has our own unique way of thinking. We have our own unique, unique way of approaching life through how we behave and how we act and what we choose and what we think. That's our thinking. That's a personal to us. And that is our mind and that is our consciousness and that really is us. And then this, like the body, is what we express it through and then also what we receive inputs through. So we have this physical vessel and then our mind is this gravitational field and it works through us. Einstein actually showed this with the photoelectric effect. But essentially, when someone is alive, there's energy being generated around them that goes through the brain and the body. It's pretty cool. So our brain isn't generating anything. There's been questions for a long time, like, is, the, is consciousness localized? Does it emanate from the brain? I remember reading studies about this in college, being super curious. But, but the brain is not our consciousness. The brain receives our consciousness and the brain is a responder to what it's receiving through the information of this gravitational field of our mind and through the senses and sensory input as well. Okay, so I want to break down the resilience factors next, but really quickly, also when we're thinking about the mind. So there's also many parts of the mind. It's not just one thing. So we have the conscious mind, but then we have the subconscious and the unconscious or non-conscious. And so there's the subconscious. And that's ruling essentially almost all of who we are and what we're doing. It's approximately 5% of what we're doing is actually conscious. And 95% of what we do and who we are is run off of these programs 
in our subconscious mind. And these programs are programmed throughout our life, especially when we're young, especially in our first seven years, but it, it continues through childhood and teenagehood and then is also impacted by things like traumas and things like that. But you are running off of, think of it as code. You are coded with, with programming that you aren't consciously aware of. The conscious part, like I said, is 5%. Everything else is below the surface and that's running you. So if you want to be making changes, oh, this is a great example. We just had New Year's, New Year's happen. If you want to make changes and your conscious mind is saying, yes, I want to do this, but you find yourself falling off the wagon or falling into the same patterns or not being able to follow through, it's because your subconscious doesn't align with what you're trying to do consciously. So you need to do subconscious reprogramming where to reprogram yourself to be the kind of person that does the thing that you're actually trying to do with your New Year's resolution. But we can go into that another point in time because it's a huge topic. And I'm also going to bring on some guests and talk about this in the coming months. So this is one of the things that most interests me, fascinates me, and that I will be learning about for my whole life and utilizing. Subconscious reprogramming is a huge component of how I healed and how I've worked through my own things and shifted identities and all this stuff. But I just want to point out that when we talk about the mind, there is different parts of it. However, change does also come consciously because you have to make the conscious decision to do different things, to take different actions, to think, feel, choose in different types of ways. So let's get into resilience and the resilience factors. This is based on a combination of my work, my research in neuroscience, biophysics, biology. The resilience factors I'm going to go over right now are resilience factors that are from my IP that I'm developing and will continue to be developing probably over the next decades. But there are there are different factors that factor into our resilience called resilience factors that help us increase how resilient we are. When we think of resilience, I would define it as the capacity to bounce back from adversity. So this is to adapt to both acute, so in the moment, or chronic, so uh, coming up continuously over time acute or chronic challenges, and then to grow from difficult circumstances and experiences. Resiliency is the ability to navigate life's setbacks with courage and a commitment to one's vision and values. So when I defined resilience factors, I define them as factors that an individual can either, as I mentioned, naturally possess and or you can develop and cultivate them. So these are these Resilience factors are what allows us, what allows one to move through challenges and stress and pain with a higher likelihood that you're not only going to endure and get through the adversity, but also thrive and go grow stronger in the face of it and after it. The more resilience factors a person possesses and the higher amounts of them, the higher the likelihood that they'll achieve success, abundance, and overall holistic well-being in life. So inner and outer or material and immaterial or physical and spiritual, however you want to think of it, but essentially well-being of the physical vessel and well-being of the your consciousness and your mind and spirit. So I have them split into primary and secondary resilience factors. The primary are based on the individual, the secondary are based on connection or community or others. 
So the first 12 are the primary resilience factors. The first is adaptability. Two, emotional regulation. Three, gratitude. Four, tenacity or grit. Five, healthy habits. Six is a learner's or growth mindset. Seven is presence. Eight, self-compassion. Nine, personal awareness. Ten, purpose and meaning. Eleven, values alignment. And twelve, vision. The secondary or the communal and collective resilience factors are one, connection, two, vulnerability, and three, empathy. So when you have higher amounts of and levels of resilience factors, this improves and grows and develops and increases your performance, your self-esteem, your confidence, your ability to live and make meaning and live meaningful life your overall impact in life, your innovation and your genius, your success and abundance, your mental health and your physical health. And then this is how it relates to spiritual intelligence or a spiritual quotient. And I just want to remind you that in my eyes and in my research, spiritual intelligence, a spiritual quotient, or even spirituality in general, doesn't mean you have to believe in G-O-D or talk about the universe or something. It could be a belief in something bigger than yourself that's just what you call a higher power and you don't know how to define it, or nature. Or really, I think at the heart of it, to be in, to have spirituality or have a high spiritual quotient, it's your ability to make and draw meaning and purpose from your life and from life in general, and to live in a way where you are at the resonance of love. So that doesn't have to be a specific belief in my in my book, in my eyes. The relationship between resilience and spiritual intelligence is really important to my investigation and my research and my work. So at the heart of my resilience framework is the concept of spiritual intelligence, which I see as a dynamic force that bridges science and spirituality and psychology. Spiritual quotient is not about mysticism or something esoteric. It's about accessing deeper wisdom and it's about faith in something greater than oneself. And it's about recognizing essentially the profound inter of life. It serves as the driving force behind the resiliency factors that I outlined and am researching. And it influences values, alignment and purpose and meaning and vision, especially out of those out of that list. By embracing spiritual intelligence, we can navigate life's challenges with a greater sense of inner wisdom and faith and foster greater adaptability and emotional regulation and presence. As your guide in this journey and as someone who is leading this research, and this is something that I intend to pour myself and my heart into for a very long time, the aim of all of this and in helping my clients and teaching this to people in general with this is to help help you access higher levels of life, essentially, of fulfillment, of meaning, of purpose, of joy, of happiness, all of these things through increased spiritual intelligence and resilience. So I can offer insights as a scientist, wisdom as a spiritual teacher, rigor as a researcher, and depth, essentially as a polymath, as someone who brings together many different fields and disciplines into one investigative study of life. That is life as performance in my eyes. So what we can do is we can understand what the resilience factors are, and then we can look for them in our life and in our story and see where have we already tapped into resilience factors? Where have we already proven to be resilient? 
where have we already shown that we have a great capacity to be grateful or to be gritty or to have deep presence? Or where can we cultivate them more to become more resilient? The cool thing is that we have built-in technology in our brain to look for patterns and data. And so we have the capacity really easily to analyze our lives or others and see where does someone have strong resilience factors and how can I relate that to myself and how can I cultivate that more in myself? That's kind of you know, the underlying ideal here is to know what they are, to then see what's already alive and well in you, where you already set up for success, and then where can you dial things up a little bit more and practice those things and cultivate those things more. And this relates back again to what I said, where what if your trauma actually wasn't bad? Through this work that I'm doing, through this essentially hypothesis, through this research, trauma is actually helpful. Trauma is what allowed you to grow your resilience. Trauma is what allowed you to increase your resilience factors and your increased resilience factors makes you stronger, makes you tougher, makes you more likely to be successful in whatever way you deem success, in whatever way you categorize success. Because increased resilience also increases your brain health. It increases your physical health, as I mentioned. It increases your emotional intelligence, your spiritual intelligence. It makes your relationships better. It increases your leadership. Like to be more resilient is to increase the quality of your life and be better able to go after and achieve and receive and be anything and everything that you want. So you go in, you can, you can identify your resilience factors, look for patterns in resilient people and see how you match up to them. Our brain is already very able to do this for us. And then when we realize we have resilience factors within us, we actually have a positive response from the brain. We're receiving dopamine. We're receiving these positive neurochemicals when we learn this because what we can do is we can look at our story. This is all of all of what I'm working on whittled down. We can look at our story and instead of seeing the trauma as something negative and bad, we write an empowering story about what happened to us. The same things happen. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. But when thing A happened, instead of having negative meaning, we now go back in and we assign positive meaning and we look at how that quote unquote negative thing actually made us stronger, actually taught us something, actually led us to this person we're supposed to meet or actually led us to moving cities to doing this or switching jobs or this and that, whatever. Oh, and then thing B, instead of that being negative, that actually allowed us to be more this or be less that or change us in a positive way. Oh, and then thing C, instead of that being also negative and traumatic and terrible and life altering in in a bad way, it's actually something that, oh, taught me this, allowed me to become stronger at this, allowed me to, you know, release the bonds of X, Y, Z thing that was holding me back. So we can create an empowering story. When we can create that empowering story, we are actually changing the biophysics of our brain. And that is allowing us to not just rewrite our story, but it's allowing us to rewire our mind and it's allowing us to change our past through how we how we think about and create meaning. It's allowing us to change in the present because it's changing the biophysics of our brain. And then it's changing our future because it's setting us up to have strength and resilience through this process 
and to actually positively affect our brain health, our mental health, our body's health, etc. And our neural architecture literally changes. And so that is the process of neuroplasticity. And this is a term, this whole process is a term that I'm, this whole process is something that I've named our neuroadaptability. So when we go in and rewrite our story and recognize what our resiliency is and what resilience factors we have and rewrite that story and rewire our brains, our neural architecture for empowerment, for success, we are flexing our neuroadaptability. And there's a process I teach within this with my clients of how to rewrite the story. But I want to go into a little bit more of how this is happening at more of a granular level because it's extremely interesting, at least to me, but I think it'll be interesting to you too. Everyone I've shared this with is like, what the hell? That's so cool. That's so cool. So here we go. Okay. So we start off with our life story, right? Right. So we look at everything that's happened to us and then we go in and we look at our resilience factors. Where do we have naturally high resilience factors? What categories? Where have we shown and exemplified resilience factors through things that we've gone through. Once you know what they are, then you can go and overlay them through your life and your pain and challenges and heartbreaks and traumas and all the things and see all the ways where you've already shown high resiliency, which is amazing. It's a great place to start. Then we go in and we start to assign purpose and meaning. We go in and we start to assign meaning to what we went through, where it's meaning that's positive rather than meaning what's negative. That's negative. And so we are processing our emotions relating, doesn't have to just be in the present moment. We can process what has happened to us in the past and how we thought about it. And you can change how you think about something. You're completely in control. And if someone might say that that's foolish, you know, this happening is obviously this terrible event in your life. It's like, okay, if that's the story you want to continue to tell, you can, but is that serving you? Is that helping you get to the life you want to live or the successes you want to have or being the person you want to be? You know, we hold so tightly to these things because we've allowed them to become part of our identity. And that is such a crucial part of our story that to let them go would be to let go, you know, everything that we know about life or ourselves. But holding on to these things is really just limiting. So where can we go in? And rewrite this into an empowering frame of reference or a proud, empowering story and structure. And part of the research I'm doing over time by looking at people's stories like Tony Robbins and Oprah and all these people, people with really high resilience factors who then went on to have really high levels of success. And it's because our trauma actually is the thing that sets us up to be stronger trauma and hardship and challenge makes us more resilient. We don't just pop out the womb being ready to do all this good and change the world and have this motivation to make an impact. And we don't necessarily have the tools to get through hard stuff without getting through hard stuff. And so if we can read all of the bad, quote unquote, bad and the trauma things, traumatic things that we've gone through, and realize that they are quite literally things that are success, setting us up for successes, it changes the story. It changes the game. And if someone doesn't like that, it's probably because they have a strong attachment to their trauma. And I'm just going to ask you again, who is that serving? And as I go through the 
continuation of what I'm about to go through right now, you'll actually see how holding on to your trauma and negative thinking and things like that are quite literally hurting your brain and are toxic and damaging to your brain. So stay tuned. Here we go. So when we write, we write this story, we're creating neurochemical and biophysical reactions and changes in the brain. Over time, everything that we have ever experienced has been integrated or manifested or created into our behaviors and how we act and think in the world. So it's very, very important to go into ourselves, our psyche, our thinking, our consciousness, and clean out the things that are toxic and the things that are negative and the things that are holding us back. So we get rid of these stories and these narratives we're telling ourselves because those are the things that are blocking us. Did you know that hypnotism works because the person is hypnotized to essentially forget or let go of their beliefs and they believe the new belief that the hypnotist plants and then they're able to get over whatever they couldn't get over before or stop doing whatever addictive behavior, whatever it is. It's because the hypnotist simply placed new beliefs into them that they believed. Our beliefs are the things holding us back from the life that we want. Point blank, period. I don't think I've ever said point blank period before in my life, but that felt like an important time to say it. Our beliefs are the singular thing holding us back from what we want in life. Point blank, period. So our mind, again, which is how we act, react, think, feel, and choose, affects affects the structures in our brain. And I'll get into that in a minute. But it literally affects what our brain physiology looks like. And it affects what we do. And what we say and how we act in the world. But if we know and understand how this works, which is why I'm trying to do this episode and educate and share and teach because it's so freaking epic what we can do with this information, then we can go in and fix and change ourselves and our behavior and our thinking, our thinking and then change our behavior in our lives. And then we get to live our greatest performance and have the coolest life we could ever have imagined and be really peaceful and happy and healthy along the way. So by doing this, we can both control our emotions in the moment, how we respond to things, and we can go back in time into the past to reconceptualize and recreate meaning, essentially, to change the meaning of what's happened to us. And that is quite literally directing or redirecting the neuroplasticity of our brain. This is the neuroadaptability process. So freaking Cool. So most people don't do this. Most people don't control how they're thinking about something and they don't do emotional regulation and they don't do self-regulation. And this is the vast majority of people. This is what happens when that happens. Most people are living in emotional flashbacks. So when they think about something that happened to them, their heartbreak, their traumas, their childhood trauma, their whatever, they're actually putting themselves back into the physiological state of when that happened because of their thinking about it. So the brain and body are then reacting as if it's happening to them again. So they're constantly basically re-triggering themselves by thinking about this past trauma and making it essentially present again because of how the brain and body then responds to it because they see this trauma as a negative thing. So when someone has a disempowering narrative, it's actually setting off a cascade of right around 1,400, 1,400 neurophysiological responses. And this is damaging to the brain. You are hurting your brain when you're doing this. So what happens when this is continued in this 
in this kind of process, let's say, or pattern. I think pattern is a better way to think of it. When people are in this pattern, then you, one, you stay stuck. Two, you stay traumatized. Three, you stay quote unquote unsuccessful. And by unsuccessful, I just mean unhealthy, unable to, you know, live a live a life of purpose and meaning and you stay inflamed because you're in constant fight or flight or a stress response because of the way that you think about your trauma. So, so once again, I want to just go over your brain in stress. What does that look like when you start to be in stress or any kind of negative thinking state? 1400 neurophysiological processes start immediately to work against the brain. This includes things like your telomeres, telomeres are shortening. Your telomeres are at the ends of your chromosomes that are essentially responsible for aging. As these shorten, you are aging. You're shortening them through stress. If you can keep these from shortening, you can keep yourself from aging, quite literally. So you're aging yourself. I'm just going to reiterate this. You are aging yourself when you are in stress, when you are thinking in negative thought patterns. What else is happening? Your DNA is being damaged. Your DNA is being affected. And this is how we pass on multi-generational traumas. Because if I'm going through something and my DNA is damaged, I'm passing on my DNA to my future kids and then it's going to grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. And this is how trauma is passed down through the genome. We cause inflammation through our thoughts. Because when we are in thought patterns such as anxiety or different kinds of stress, our proteins fold incorrectly in the brain. When they fold incorrectly, the body recognizes these structures as a foreign invader, similar to how it would look at a virus as a foreign invader. Then it goes in and it attacks it. And that's the inflammatory response. If you have chronic inflammation, your body is going to get sick. Chronic inflammation is the root cause of all the major killers heart disease, diabetes, cancer, et cetera. We are causing inflammation in our brains through our thought. If you're constantly in stress and stressful thought patterns, you're creating toxicity in the brain. No one teaches this. Why aren't we taught this? This is mind-bogglingly important. How you think and how you think about things literally changes your brain health and your physical health overall. I just want to let that sink in for a second. And this doesn't just link to us. It doesn't just link to our health. This links to society at large. First of all, if someone is unhappy and stressed and in a fight or flight or freeze or fawn response, we affect each other's gravitational fields. When you're around, and the heart also has a gravitational field. So when you're around people who are expansive, it positively impacts you and your gravitational field. And when you're around someone negative, they actually can squash and flatten your gravitational field crazy. That's why you can't hang out negative people. Just side note. So on the other hand, when something happens and you choose to emotionally regulate, what does that look like? Well, my loves, this is where it gets good. Right away, if you can engage in proper emotional regulation techniques and something like a neuroadaptability process, those 1400 neurophysiological responses start working for you. A fun fact is that there are actually neurons, not just in the brain, but also in the gut, but also in the heart. There are around 40,000 neurons in the heart. When you go through something that could be stressful and you choose to emotionally regulate yourself, 
So not go into fight or flight, but not go into a stress response. You use a tool or tactic of some kind to mitigate that. The blood vessels around your heart, this little kind of mini brain in your heart dilate. So they expand more blood can go into them. And your little mini brain in your heart starts talking with your prefrontal cortex. There's better communication all of a sudden between your heart and your brain, the logical part of your brain. What else happens? Your brain starts emitting more theta brainwaves, which are a healing brainwave state. What else happens? It increases. All of this happens when we consciously choose to integrate and embrace and accept and essentially do meaning making around the things that are happening or have happened to us that could be seen as bad, but we're choosing not to see them that way. I hope you can realize the wildly vast and important implications of this. How we think and thus how we feel dictates the health of our brain and body. This is why mental health is so inextricably linked to physical health because they're all basically the same thing. It's working within this one very complex integrated system. There's no taking apart the mind from the body or the brain from the mind or any of that. And we have the capacity to heal ourselves at a very, very deep level through understanding how to emotionally regulate and to regulate our thoughts and to add meaning into our life. And here's the thing. Our conscious mind is is developed to self-regulate. That's beauty of it. We can consciously choose to do this. We have the power. We don't have to keep signing our power away to our trauma. We don't have to live in these constant cycles of being triggered and dysregulated and stressed and and in fight or flight, which then leads to inflammation, then leads to patterns of thinking and leads to sickness. We have the most beautiful biology and mind, body, spirit organization where our conscious mind is designed to self-regulate. There you go. We are set up for success. If only we are taught how to use and understand these tools. And that's what this podcast is about. And hope that you're finding this helpful so far and your mind is being blown because when I started uncovering all this and going deeper and deeper, deeper into it, and then realizing, oh my God, that's what I did. That's how I got through all this stuff. That's how I continue to go through all of this stuff. And then I can match it up with things like my aura ring and look at my heart rate variability and see that I have double the heart rate variability of a quote unquote healthy person. Like I have insanely high HRV and I'm able to handle so much stress. I didn't used to be able to do that. You know, I did all of this work and I learned how to use my thought and thought patterns and thinking for my betterment. And it created this superpower in me that I didn't even know what I was doing. And now I get to teach that to my clients and help integrate this into individuals and high performers and entrepreneurs and their teams. And it's just beautiful. It's so important. I mean, this needs to be widespread at a societal level, which is why I have huge, 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 you know, global mission. And I have goals to reach millions of people with this work throughout my um, career and lifetime. And it's exciting to me. Like this lights me up. Because we want, we want happiness. We want to travel all the time. We want all these things. We want money. You know how we get that? We get that through 
resilience. We get that through emotional regulation and self-regulation and being able to handle the things that life gives us because it's not going to give us all this good stuff without some of the bad. And if you can't get through the bad and handle the difficult, handle that stuff, uh, you don't usually get to the good part. So yeah, it's very, very lucrative to lean into this work and this kind of stuff. So again, our, our conscious mind is developed and designed to self-regulate. It's designed to help us create meaning. So then when we look at our story and we look at our resilience factors that we possess, and then we write a story that's empowering and we do work to lean in even more to how we can grow our resilience factors even more, we're then doing what's called retroactive causation. So we're changing the past and the future. And this is where we can consciously get into the subconscious and do that right rewriting work. And then within the subconscious or really more within the unconscious or the non-conscious, that's where our innate ancient ancestral wisdom lies. That is the spiritual part of us, of our consciousness and mind, like deep below our conscious mind. And we can access that and increase our overall awareness, increase our well-being literally on a mind, body, spirit level. And then when we're doing that, we're influencing our families generationally, and we're influencing everyone that we interact with because we impact each other's minds and consciousness and gravitational field. And as we wrap up here, I'm just going to continue a little bit further in this and then how the, how there's this very strong intersection here of science and spirituality. So when you're creating an empowering story, what you want to really get into, you know, Joe Dispenza talks about this, all the people who study uh, the subconscious mind. It's like, how do you get in and really get into that strong um, subconscious reprogramming and this re rewriting and recoding of neural architecture? You need to get into the emotion. The emotion is the key to it all. And so if you're trying to rewrite something, you want to think about how do you want to feel about it? And being in the emotion of it, maybe before you even actually experience that emotion, you get to conjure it up within you. And this is energy. Emotions are energy in motion. Our energy energy is dictated through our emotional state or different emotional states, you could say, have different frequency or vibration levels. And through this, we change our neurochemistry. When we go in and we identify these areas where we can reassess and think about things differently and, and add different meaning, create different meaning, or see at least just add in this, this flavor on top, this lens on top of the things that happen to me are happening for me, even if I don't know why. That is where we see biophysical changes. That's where our biophysics literally changes in our brain and body. And this is neuroplasticity or neuroadaptability happening. And so what's happening when that's happening? <laughs> that's a silly sentence. What's happening when that's happening? But let me tell you what's happening when that's happening. So our self-esteem increases. When that happens, our serotonin increases. When our confidence increases, our serotonin increases. Our mood increases and our serotonin increases. We get more happy and our serotonin increases. Or, you know, vice versa. Our serotonin increases through this process and we get more self-esteem and more confidence. I think it's kind of like this back and forth. You can say one came first, the other came first, they're coming together. But we, this is when we're, we're creating more resilience. And this is a, this is a neurochemical component of resilience and what happens when we do this work. We increase dopamine in this process, which helps us increase our motivation and our learning and our 
our work towards our goals. And this is a healthy brain response that we have when we self-regulate and we emotionally regulate naturally. They're hacking our brain to literally be motivated to do the things that we want to do, the things that matter to us, the life of meaning. Oh my God. This is just, I, I love this subject so much. If you can't tell, um, yeah, I'm obsessed. Okay, what else happens? When we increase, increase connection to others, we're increasing oxytocin. When we're increasing oxytocin, we're actually having better relationships with others, which is increasing the quality of our life. And through all of this, because we're cutting off the fight or flight or stress response, and we're cutting off inflammation, that means we're actually decreasing cortisol instead of increasing it. Most people know that cortisol is the stress hormone. And so What's happening when you are, let's say, thinking um, negative thoughts of some kind, anxious thoughts, even like judgmental thoughts, something that's negative is causing, like I said, the proteins to fold incorrectly in your brain. And then the brain has these incorrectly folded proteins in it that the body recognizes as a bad thing or a foreign invader and it launches the inflammatory response. That is putting your body into fight or flight. And in the inflammatory response, you're increasing cortisol. So you're increasing stress in the body. So the opposite of that is when we create our empowering story and we do this work around resilience and resiliency factors and we create meaning in our stories and empowerment, we're decreasing cortisol, we're decreasing stress we're decreasing inflammation. We're also increasing endorphins, which will decrease stress as well. And it also decreases depression. Increase endorphins, decrease depression. That's pretty cool. We're also decreasing amygdala activation during this time because our amygdala is the part of the brain that is responsible for sensing fear. But if we're not fearful, if we're not putting ourselves into a fear response, then the activation goes down, which means our stress levels go down as well because the body and or the brain is interpreting. And so if you're safe, you're going to have less stress. And the prefrontal cortex goes up. It's, 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 it's working better. It's more, it's functioning at a higher level. And this is part of our higher order thinking. So this allows us to actually better control our emotions and to make more adaptive decisions, better decisions for us. AKA, this is our neuroadaptability, baby. So you could say that the resilient individual is the highly neuroplastic individual or the resilient individual is someone who has the highest degree of being able to utilize their neuroadaptability, which is rewriting empowering stories to create resilience, to have positive biophysics. What else is happening in this process? Well, you're decreasing neuroinflammation. So, you know, part of when I was really sick, I realized I had so much inflammation in my brain. And of course, I had all these mental health issues. I mean, my brain was in a stress, in a fight or flight response constantly, which which was affecting, you know, every aspect of my life. So when you're decreasing neuroinflammation, you're increasing cognitive ability. And then from that, you're increasing holistic well-being overall. And lastly, we're also in this process increasing neurotrophic factors which are responsible for keeping the brain nice and healthy. And these are responsible for increasing our ability to respond to adversity. So again, let's go back to the intersection of science and spirituality. Everything is energy. Everything is vibration. Both science and spirituality tell you, tell us that, tell you that. The brain and the mind interact through vibration, the gravitational field. It's obviously invisible. We can't see it, but it exists. And that's how they interact. 
So we have this energetic or vibrational relationship and that's how they're interacting and basically communicating. When we're in these bad patterns, anxiety, stress, anger, annoyance, if you're angry or annoyed, you're causing toxicity in your brain. I just want you to be aware of that. That's something that helps me really quickly become not annoyed at things. I literally like, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I care about my brain. Wait, I need to stop being annoyed because I'm literally hurting myself when I'm thinking like this. So if we're in these quote unquote bad patterns, anger, anxiety, annoyance, etc., we have a bad vibration. That bad vibration is causing that incorrect protein folding, which creates toxic structures, which the brain reacts to as a foreign invader, the same way it would react to a virus, which causes the inflammatory response, which causes physical and mental health issues, which leads to individual health crises, which then leads to public health crises and societal health crises and global health crises, which is, I think, honestly, the state that we are in right now. We're in a very weird space in time in life where some people are just a lot of people are in this very low vibrational state of ill health on I would say a mental physical and spiritual level because at the end of the day vibration affects all of it right like I just kind of pointed out it affects our social life it affects our work life it affects our personal relationship with self and our health it affects how we act i will say the highly inflamed person cannot be their highest spiritual self the highly inflamed person is not just the best version of themselves in general it's just impossible because it affects the way that you think and the way you act and feel can we truly be the highest version of ourselves in our consciousness and being at the vibration and frequency of true love if we're inflamed I would say no. And partially because that means that our thinking is likely toxic too. So you have toxic thinking in anger, in annoyance, in anxiety, all of these things. You're not operating at your highest vibration, your highest consciousness. It's just not happening. So you can look at vibration as really the thing that affects our lives and our mindsets and kind of our everything. And it manifests as positive or negative or anything in between. And we have control over it. We have control over it. I hope that makes you feel empowered and almost excited. It makes me feel very excited knowing that this is how all this works. And so as I've been studying this very deeply the past few months, as I've been working with a mentor, as I'm developing my IP and how I want to focus my career around this work and my consulting and going in and working with entrepreneurs and founders and their teams and companies and really go into the world of leadership and help people become more resilient. And I really think anyone can be a leader and is a leader if they so choose. You're first of all, always leading yourself. But second of all, you have influence on everyone around you in some capacity, just by how you're being. The more resilient people we have on this planet, the better, because they're individually happier and healthier. And that affects everyone else, as I've been talking about throughout this episode because how do we manage our vibration through our mind through our mind and our body and our spirit again they're all (laughs) interconnected but we're able to choose how we think about things through our mind which affects all of this stuff honestly this is such a cool podcast episode i actually kind of can't get over the fact that i just recorded this because and then i get to do this in my work and i get to like i get to sit down with my coaching clients and i get to consult on this and say look Like this is the data. This is the science showing that 
if you're operating in this kind of way, you're not going to have the results that you want, or you're not going to have the life that you want, or if you want to feel peace, or if you want freedom, or if you want revenue, whatever that looks like, what your goal is. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's a combination of goals. It's like, I want to have high revenue and I also want to have good relationships and I don't want to sacrifice my health and all, you know, there's a lot of different factors that play into it, but I got to do this work. And this is so cool. And this is like somehow this long lost secret of how things quote unquote work in this world. Um, this is just what gets me. This is what just what gets me going. Investigating. What is this life? How do I do it better? How do I do be a better me? How do I be a happier me? How do I be a more impactful me? That's what it's all about. And so this podcast is just full, full, full of all this. And I'm excited. I literally have two years <laughs> of solo uh, content planned out because I sat down and I was like, well, what do I want to talk about? And uh, it's a lot. So expect a lot more content. And by that, I just mean videos and newsletters and writing and information coming out. And I also will be opening up a couple of spots for one-on-one coaching. So if you ever want to work intimately with me and do this work and go in and do the story rewriting and resilience, increase your capacity for resilience and leadership and be a more authentic version of you, all these things, I do do one-on-one coaching and starting up a new group soon, a new group coaching program. I have different things running and I also have different things in the works um, as far as retreats for individuals, uh, retreats for companies, et cetera. So there's a lot happening. So please reach out if you're interested in going deeper in this work or let me know just what you thought about this episode in general, because like I said, I think this stuff is mind blowing and mind blowingly cool and just wild. And it makes me excited. Let's rope it all. Let's wrap it all the way back to the beginning of this episode when I'm talking about, you know, life and death and existentialism and, and all of that. It's like, okay, this life means nothing. It's also everything. So if it's, if it is partially everything, I think it's my duty to figure out how to do it in the best possible way, how to optimize what I'm doing for impact and for longevity and for all of these things. And if we don't have information like this, if we don't understand how our mind really works and how our thinking really affects our health and all of these interconnected pieces, we're not gonna we're not gonna be doing life in the you know best possible way. We're not gonna feel as good as we possibly could. We're not gonna have as deep of relationships. We're not gonna have as much performance at work. We're not gonna have as much satisfaction at work. All of these things. It's like this ripple effect across everything in your life. Everything. So it's something that I just am super passionate about, and I'm excited to keep talking about it on the pod. But there's the introductory episode to resilience and to the mind and the interplay between mind, body, and spirit and mental health and physical health and emotional health and spiritual health, because they're all interconnected and must be integrated for overall holistic well-being, health and well-being. All right. That's the episode for this week. I hope you are inspired to Look at your story a little bit more and look at where you innately have strong resilience factors and maybe what other resilience factors you can practice and increase to be able to become unshakable and unfuckwithable and a strong leader and the fullest capacity of who you are and to really go after everything that you want because it really does come down to our thinking and how we think, feel, act, choose, behave, react. And so much more is within our power 
than we are taught. And so I'm really happy to be able to teach that and share that and just know that I love you. I just make a quick side note really quick. I remember the first time I heard some random stranger on the internet be like, I love you. I love everyone. I was like, oh my God, shut up. That's such bullshit. But um, I think I do love everyone, at least in like a blanket statement. There's maybe a few people that it would be harder to love because they're, I don't know, a murderer or something. I definitely don't like everyone, but I would say I basically love everyone because I can zoom out to a far, far, far greater perspective of we are all just souls with karma and soul missions and soul contracts here to play out what has been a continuation of an energy for lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes. And when you look at it like that, you know, and you are kind of not separated from it all. So you're all, you're kind of everyone and everyone's kind of you and you're kind of everything. And you're also just the universe experiencing itself through it all. Like how could you not love everyone? So anyways, I think I'm a little bit delusional. I need to go sleep. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I love you. I think you're amazing. If you're listening to this, I just, I can only imagine that I, that you're amazing. I think there are so many incredible people in this world with so many special gifts and talents and abilities. And I hope that by learning and understanding a little bit more of how your mind influences your health and well-being, that you're able to go out and be an even better version of you and leave it, live an even better life and be more stable and balanced and fulfilled and excited and happy and all of the things because my god is that not our birthright and part of not knowing it is to have the joy of learning and discovering it so i hope you feel some delight and joy in um what you learned throughout this episode and would love to hear back from you if you had any insights or ahas or if that you know did anything for you because i just like having conversations about stuff like this so Hop in my DMs if you want to chat and be like, oh my God, my mind just got blown. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I just find it hard to believe that it would be just me. Um, anyways, love you lots. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to support the show, it would mean the world to subscribe and follow, rate and review. And for those of you that do, if you want to send me a screenshot, I will schedule a coaching call and audit with you and we can go through something that you're currently working on and come up with an actionable plan and solution for you. It's my way of saying thank you. So we can put that on the calendar. We can do a 15 minute call. Just send your screenshots of your rating and review to my email in the show notes or on Instagram. You can also follow the show at Our Greatest Performance on Instagram and or myself at Mackenzie Rose Gorman. I hope you have a beautiful day. Tune in next time.